Hello and welcome everyone to Man Up, the men's mental health podcast. My name is Andy Richardson and sitting the other side of Europe over the big pond, well the sort of medium-sized pond, <laughs> is the sublime but not ridiculous Tommy Danqua. How are you, sir? I'm very, very well, thank you very much. Actually, do you know what? I'm lying. I'm lying. I said, I'll say that I'm very, very well. Uh, but I think off the air, I was just saying that I actually woke up with a bit of a dicky tummy this morning. So I've... Uh, oh, that's, yeah, a euphemism for, that's a euphemism <laughs> for having the shits, isn't it? <laughs> I was trying to put it a bit more politically correct, but oh my goodness, yes. I'm feeling a bit drained this morning. <laughs> a bit drained. <laughs> if I call a timeout at any point, you know what it is. Yeah? <laughs> right, okay, okay, yep. TMI, TMI. Right. Um <laughs> <laughs> the, <laughs> well, what a start that is to a to a podcast. I mean, come on. Um Bombshell. It's funny you say this morning. I mean, this is the first time I think we've ever done a, a podcast this early. I mean, I know it's two hours ahead for you, but it's yeah. like it's 9 a.m. Here, here, really. And and um I must say, I'm not great in the mornings. Um, I'm a lot better as the day goes on. And um I wanted to talk to you about that actually, because you you're quite an advocate of of sort of getting up early, aren't you? You're sort yes. of five thirty a.m. man. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm about seven thirty, eight o'clock when I'm not working. Um, what would you say the benefits of getting up early are, and and can you train yourself to sort of get up earlier? Yeah, definitely. You can absolutely train yourself, like with anything. It's all psychological. Um, you know, I used to believe that, you know, sleep late and stuff like that. Uh, but I you know, there's practices you can put in place to do it, but the benefits of waking up early for me, and I think this is because as well, I've got children and a family. And once the kids are up, then there's no me time. It's completely, everything's centered around, you know, getting them ready and prepped and stuff like that. The beautiful thing about waking up an hour or two early is you have still, you have quiet. So I can be productive. I can exercise. I'm, I'm, the weather's changed here, so I'm going on bike rides now in the morning. Just amazing. And obviously, I live in the countryside, so this, you know, watching the sun rising, it's beautiful. I can come home. I can meditate. It's completely quiet. No one's asking me for anything. I can journal. I can do all the things that I need to do that can, you know, that prep me for uh, winning the day. And I can do mm. without being disturbed. And if I've got work to do as well, you know, you spend half an hour, 40 minutes doing some work just in complete peace and quiet. So by the time everyone else is woken up and the color blue begins, I'm already like ahead of the game. I'm ahead of everybody else. So it's just not just for a physical thing, because, you know, I'm getting the exercise in early, but from a mental point of thing, I'm winning. And it's just, it's so good, man. It's so good. I recommend it to anybody. And like my wife, she's a complete, we're like complete polar opposite. She's, she can't wake up, you know, she, <laughs> she wants to stay up late and stuff like that. But I'm completely different. And I think one thing I need to watch out for is that quite often I might not sleep enough. Like, you know, the, what, you know, the recommended seven, eight hours. Like, I don't mm. do that. And I just, I struggle to do that. And I, I always have really, I used to go to bed late and sort of wake up, uh, you know, a semi-decent hour. But I, yeah, I always you know, five hours, six hours, that's my maximum. But then every day without fail, I'll always like try to get a power nap in for like between five and 15 minutes, you know? 
<laughs> yeah. Old 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 man Tommy on the sofa. Oh, he's off again having his power nap. Honestly, I, I genuinely do. I swear by them. I love a power nap. But you know, once I do that, I'm again, I'm invigorated and refreshed, and I'm ready to rock and roll for another like four hours or so. So, yeah, it's perfect. I can see. I can see. Um, see, obviously, I don't have anyone to disturb me, so I can get up at any time and have sort of undisturbed time. But then that's not true, actually, because. By the time it gets to sort of eight thirty, nine o'clock, I'm getting a barrage of what you know, emails for work, uh, junk mail from companies trying to sell me things, yeah. uh, um, you know, WhatsApp messages, and and um, yeah, I mean, I, I I have a similar problem. Like, I'm not very good at going to bed early, and if I do try and go to bed early, um, I can't get to sleep for ages. Yeah. So I think what the what I need to do is get more in the habit of of you know eventually I will start going to sleep earlier uh, if I keep trying. If you know what I mean, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it bit by bit, isn't it? Sort of, you know, when I started waking up at five o'clock, it was a nightmare. But then I sort of thought, well, well if I do maybe fifteen minutes earlier for a week, then half an hour earlier for the next week, and just you know build it up like anything. But, you know, I was going to say another positive thing about waking up early. You said you got the emails and stuff like that. But also, you live in London. So after sort of six o'clock and stuff like that, you know, there's more cars on the road, the buses and everything, people walking to work. So you get that outside yeah. noise. So already everything's a bit more chaotic. Yeah. AM, it's still, it's peaceful, it's quiet. And, you know, like for, you know, people like us, to be able to sort of quieten your mind, it's yeah. such, oh, it's amazing. People like us, what you mean, mental men? The mental men. Yes. We are the mental men. <laughs> um, mental men who struggle with technology. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, yeah, the Luddites. <laughs> we, we we were chatting to our, our guest um, a little bit earlier because we do have a guest this week, ladies and gentlemen. Woohoo! Um, and um, he, he, got, um, he got up early. He spruced himself up nicely and put a hat on and everything. Because he thought there was going to be like a bit of video. Well, you know, most most of these most podcasters uh, do it on video as well. On uh, but us, you know, we're we're old school. We're old school, aren't we? You know, we we're sound only. We're also lazy as well because right now, because we're doing it remotely, I'm here in a pair of shorts, my socks, and a hoodie, and I'm feeling well comfortable on my sofa, living my best life. So I don't know if I ever want to go to video because that would mean I'd have to like do things like have a shave, you know, have a yep. wash. And I just don't know if I've got it in me, mate. I don't you don't. You don't know whether you've got having a wash in you. Yeah, times I'm a country boy now, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's a glorious day here, actually. You know, the weather. The weather. Um, you know, at time of recording, we're end of May here, and and the and the um the the temperature's gone up about ten degrees. Um, the the only trouble is, uh, for me and and England is you get this. It's it's crap because you get it's cold for ages. It's cold for months and months and months. Then you'll get about a week or two where it's just right. You know, mm. early twenties, sun, beautiful. Then the, then it goes mental and goes like like th for you know thirty degrees or something like that, and it's that's too much. And I find that quite triggering when it's really hot. Um, and it's funny because uh, let me do my little jingle. I will make a proper one. No, no, don't ever make a proper one. I like this too much. Let's go. Mental health in the news. 
questions. Um, there was an article this week in The Guardian saying climate change around the world has had a hidden cost to our mental health. So meaning in these countries where you've got extreme heat um, for months on end, or these countries where we've, you've got sort of flooding or, um, you know, storms or cold and things like that, uh, it's having a really, really bad effect on on, on people's mental health as well as uh, their physical thing, you know. So that's a, that's another reason to be a vegan and um, eat uh, vegan blue cheese. <laughs> that was seamless. I'm so excited. All right, for those of you that don't know, um, we found a dealer out here. <laughs> she sells it by the gram vegan blue cheese and it just arrived today and i i'm literally uh, my wife asked me what i wanted for my birthday and that's what i asked for and it's arrived a week early so i am absolutely i'm so excited we're gonna have i think we're gonna have it tonight you get a bottle Talk of wine get, you know make a nice vegan cheese board and i yeah i'm so excited talking about low maintenance you know for your for your birthday you want moldy cashew nuts yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. Isn't it? It's cheese, cheese made out of um, yeah. cashew nuts that's been moulded, uh, that's been <laughs> left to mould. I know, I know. Cheap day. It's, Andy, it's the simple things in life. You know, I've got away from it all, mate. You know, I live out in the countryside. I chase chickens for fun. That's what my life is all about. <laughs> Right, should we get our guest on then? Let's do this because I'm well excited about this. It's been a, another one that's been a long time in the making, isn't it? It has, yeah, yeah, we, yeah we've, 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 uh, yeah, we had him all lined up, and then I think it was, yeah, one, I think it was probably our fault at one point because we overrun. We tried to yeah. do three in one night, and then it got a bit late and stuff. But um, yeah, so our guest this week is is Ryan Ridgeway. Um, he is the director of Mind Health Solutions. Uh, he's a mental health first aider, and also he's a mixed martial artist and cage fighter. Um, so he, uh, he's got a very, very interesting backstory, talking about a lot of things we haven't spoken before. And uh, yes, Ryan, welcome to the show. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Thank you. Great yes, to be mate. here. Welcome, welcome. Thank you very much. So, yeah, so... Um, how are you anyway today? <laughs> Let's get the niceties out of the way. Are you all right? I'm all right. I'm not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Considering I've uh, just recently been sectioned and got out this week, I'm all right. Considering all that, not too bad. Oh, my gosh. Right. Okay. Well, we'll, 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 we'll talk about that in um, a, a bit later because that's, um, wow. Yeah, that's something that um, is, is quite close to my heart as well. Um, but anyway, t- tell us a little bit about your... Uh, your background, um, you know, how, how, where you're from and, and yeah, your, your sort of uh, early years. Cause I know on your sort of biography, you know, you, 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 you speak about having sort of, uh, you know, um, hearing voices early on in, 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 in life. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So it started when I was about, I don't know, 12, um, earliest memories around then. So I used to get, you know, voices, intrusive thoughts, they would say things like turn the light switch on and off, you know, a certain number of times. And there's always a horrific output to that. If I didn't do it, like your parents would die. There's always some catastrophe that would happen if I didn't do it. And at that age, you don't know if it's, you know, normal, usual, growing up, puberty. So you just, you kind of roll with it, go with it. But they got more, more severe, more sinister, more concerning 
there's one episode where uh, the voices are right, do sit-ups all day, all day. Otherwise, and it was usually your parents are going to die or something horrific like that. So I did sit-ups to the point of exhaustion, have a rest, carry on, tore every muscle in my stomach, had to have three weeks off school. Um, even that then wasn't recognised as a mental health concern because back back in my day, I get to say that at the age of 40, it's got to be one of the benefits of turning 40. You can use the statement <laughs> back in my mm, day. Mm. Well, uh, I'm 15, I'm 50 <laughs> next year, so let's not go there. Okay, okay, we'll avoid any age conversation. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, Carry on. But yeah, it wasn't recognised. Anxiety wasn't heard of, let alone obsessive compulsive disorder. So most of my journey has been uh, difficult and traumatic because of stigma judgment and, and lack of awareness and it just got more more severe uh, more serious uh, because I didn't find any journey of recovery or support right so no support at all did you did you did you I know because you're quite a, you know you're a real real ad, advocate of of um talking you know getting people to talk about stuff but did you did you find that you couldn't speak to anyone about it? Were you ashamed or, or, or is it just you didn't have anyone to speak to? Um, a bit of both. There was a level of, of, of shame, of self-stigma. You know, I'm strange, I'm weird, I'm different. When I did try to reach out for help, because, again, there wasn't the awareness, people didn't respond in a kind way or a knowledgeable way that I hope people would respond in now. So, you know, even yeah. professionally, um, when I got taken to the doctors by my dad, you know, the doctor was very much like, oh, you know, don't be silly, that's ridiculous, you know, that that can't happen, as opposed to the conversation you'd hope has hasn't, you know, we'd have now. So my learned behavior was talking makes it worse, don't talk to anyone, suppress it, hide it. People will think you're weird. The only person that's going to help you is you, which we know is totally inaccurate because talking does help. And that's that's, you know, that's what we need to do. It's one of the hardest things, but we need to clear our heads, you know, share this stuff and get it out there. So. So, yeah, it was a bit of both, really, just not having people to talk to and respond in the correct way and, and learning that, you know what, just hide it, hide it, suppress it. And, and as and as we've learned, if these sort of learn behaviors from from other people and and you know uh, um happen early on in life then it extends into adulthood you know um and and beyond and in very sort of subconscious ways as well you know it's a real uh, those early years are so important yeah absolutely absolutely only the other day i was walking back from my local shop it was a couple of weeks ago and there was a young lad uh toddler i think he's about maybe four or five and it looked like he'd he'd fell over and hit his knee and he was crying and mom was saying to him um come on be a big brave boy don't cry Oh. Now, what what could that tell that young lad that uh, you know bravery is associated with suppressing emotion? I get rewarded from mum for not crying, and that's what strong looks like. Now, I get it. You know, I'm no judgment there. As a parent, you probably just wanted to stop crying, but that could start that that process of that young lad believing that you know I can't cry. It's it's yeah. weak. I'll suppress it. I'll keep it in. Mate, hundred percent. You know what I. On the other hand, you are quite good with not judging. I fully do judge that because um, I, I was the same and I grew up with the same mentality. My father was old school. I've said this before in the podcast. My father's old school West Indian. And it's, you know, that stand for him, don't cry, big man, you know. And I was doing that to my boys as well. And I, I, we always have this, we, me and Andy have spoken about this a lot of times. The difference between raising our males and our females is completely different, you know. 
the boys pull over and it's exactly what you said. Big man, don't cry. You know, stand up, don't cry. And with the girls, oh, no, come here, come on to daddy, come, Baba. You know, it's completely different. And it is absolutely 100% squashing, strangling the emotions out of our men. It really is. Yeah. It really is. Without without going into getting too sort of um, you know psych, psychiatrist couch or or anything like that, what did you did you have much sort of family or friends support when you were when when, when you were young? Um, you know what was your what was your what was life like when you were when you you were young? You know, I had a really blessed upbringing. You know, mom mom and dad were great. Um, you know, we weren't um, we didn't want for anything. It, we weren't like rich or anything like that but I had a really supportive family you know mum and dad um, are 70 now they're still together it's a real kind of what you'd mm. stereotypically I suppose view as a, a stable environment a stable upbringing um, but you know I had a mental illness that wasn't recognized back then or as recognized and and that's where the trauma and and the difficulty kind of kind of lay it's funny because um, I've, I've been reading recently. Uh, the, the, I don't know if you've heard of Nicole Lepera. The, the you know she's quite she's massive on Instagram, and she came out with a book called um, How to Do the Work. And she talks about her childhood being, on the surface, being very, very stable. You know, happy sort of families. But um, she she said the way things were always brushed under the carpet um all the time she thinks that was the trigger of the problems she had in 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 her adult life because so it's not necessarily you know you can get trauma from from childhood but not necessarily you don't have to be abused or or be from a you know parents that are always sort of arguing or or, or neglected or stuff like that you know it's just you know it's we, we it's pe- people are starting to realize that those 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 years i mean you know, i suppose we've always realized it those early years are really really important and you really have to sort of you know it's precarious really isn't it you know you don't yeah whatever yeah yeah it is so it's so, so weird you brought that book up you know because um my partner jamie she's uh, downloaded that only yesterday and said you need to listen to this it'll really help you at the minute so that's so bizarre that you've mentioned that book there you go. It's a sign. There you go. It's a sign. There it is. So you also mentioned um, a bit later, after hearing the voices, that you get you had um, psychotic episodes. So what does that what, what does that mean? How did they um, come about, and what what did they look like? So it's through unsupported um, mental illness, you know, through going through that traumatic experience of it just becoming worse and worse and worse. And my psychosis formed the two parts. So you probably know about psychosis. It's hallucinations and or delusions. Hallucinations are sensory. It can affect, it can be a visual hallucination, auditory, like hearing voices. It could be a taste, a smell, or a feeling and touch. And then delusions are, you know, far-fetched, extreme beliefs that aren't that person's kind of shared reality so i had auditory hallucinations you know voices and my delusional belief that i absolutely wholeheartedly believed you couldn't have persuaded me otherwise was i was going to contract hiv that was my wholehearted fear and belief and it was that extreme i remember one episode where i was playing football fell on the ground cut my knee and then thought what if someone who has that has landed there 
and there's blood to blood contact. I need to get a test. I had eight tests in 12 months for HIV. Rather than recognize that as a mental health concern, professionals banned me from having tests. Wow. What does that do? What does that teach you, like, mentally? Oh, that was that was when you know. Uh, I mean, before that, suicide plans were made anyway. But but that was well. I tried. I, I found a workaround. I thought, right, I'll uh, I'll drive to different centres. So I remember driving an hour away and having a test somewhere else. Um, but then the medical records followed, and you know that uh, that kind of banning barring process continued. Um, so yeah, it just put me on such a downward spiral. I was really just coping day to day just clinging on to some kind of reality was that around the time um because I, you know i know in in the sort of late 80s there was a real sort of scaremongering um adverts on tv about aids you know like um don't die of ignorance it said and oh those massive blocks wasn't it like a great advert with the aids spelled out in big gray concrete blocks wasn't it yeah yeah aids don't die and and i think i mean i i guess the idea was, you know, to to try and sort of spread um, awareness, but I think it sort of had the opposite effect to a lot of people, and, and people found it quite sort of, you know, triggering. I mean, I even, I mean, I'm so I'm so bloody old. I remember, you know, the sort of nuclear war. Uh, you know, everyone caring about the Russians and stuff like that. You know, in the sort of late seventies, early eighties. But AIDS was the sort of real, you know, stigma uh, in in the sort of late 80s early 90s wasn't it yeah it was i remember watching that video at school so they played as that i mean i think it was the same video but it was a video um yeah. at school and it just put the fear of god into everyone yeah um, combine that with my ocd my ocd just went oh hello i'll attach myself to that for a little bit that sounds interesting and uh yeah the, the, the video wasn't um wasn't awareness it was fear you know it was like mm. do not do this do not do that and i think in the video as well because they didn't have a lot of you know knowledge around it then it was a whole you know you could catch it from toilet seats remember that part of it they're like oh be, yeah be careful from this be careful from that it's almost like you're you gonna catch it any way possible so you know ocd just went oh okay let's be aware of that so so okay let's get into the ocd thing because that's something i've wanted to talk about for ages and we've never really had anyone on here um that has spoken about OCD. Um, it was only in recent years that you got a proper diagnosis for that, wasn't it? It was, yes. Yeah. So I'm 40 now. My proper diagnosis only came at the age of 35. Previous to that, it was lots of misdiagnosis like panic disorder, GAD, generalised anxiety disorder, and, and depression when I was 19. But I became depressed through living miserably with OCD because the two often, that's the word they, they choose to use professionally, often coexist. So it might be someone struggling with anxiety living miserably they become depressed so 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 go on describe what um ocd looks like what it actually is and um how it sort of differ differentiates from from generalized anxiety or health anxiety so when i first had it it was um intrusive thoughts and compulsions you know carrying out an act like i mentioned turning on the light switch on and off or you know touching a certain point in the room a certain number of times or, or counting um but that kind of fell by the wayside so now the way it affects me most uh, is intrusive thoughts and to be honest that's that's the worst part. So think of a time when you've 
thought that's something traumatic, something really distressing, something really difficult. Most people will be able to just choose not to think about that or forget it or push it aside or distract themselves. My yeah. mind will take the most graphic, uh, horrific, scary thing and just replay it over and over and over with no escape. And mm. it is so exhausting. It is so uh, debilitating. And it just makes you so miserable beyond belief you just want that to stop um so yeah it's, it's just really and i wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy i've had cancer i'd rather have cancer 10 times and, and risk my chances with that than have this it's that 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 terrible that that horrible awful we'll wish it on anyone so this is um obviously this was the big you know you've recently said that you went back into hospital so yeah. when when the intrusive thoughts start, do you sort of, is it like you know it's going to happen or where it's going to end up or do you have ways of sort of overcoming it, combating it? Well, I thought I had this pretty well mapped out. I thought I've got a good toolkit for coping strategies. You know, OCD is never going to be a problem for me again. You know, I teach this. So I know all the things I need to avoid or limit and all the things I need to do to, you know, keep the symptoms um, at bay, like meditation. But, has been a bit of a game changer where I've had to kind of adapt and, and rethink things. So I, um, my coping strategy for the last 20, 25 years was drugs and alcohol. And on the 3rd of January, I decided to get sober. So I'm 143 days clean and sober today. Now, what yes. I didn't consider is uh, that was my way of coping. That was my way of when the voices got too much and intrusive thoughts, a little bit of escapism, you know, drugs and alcohol, perfect i'm reset i'm good to go so it's come back tenfold because i've not replaced that coping strategy with anything else and it's mm. it's been the worst episode i've ever had in the last three weeks um as a result i was i was sectioned to keep myself safe oh, man well, it's 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 funny it's funny you should say well it's not funny at all but it's weird that you should say that because i've got um I've got a friend who's very, 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 sounds very, very similar um, to you. I mean, I, again, I don't really want to talk too much about him and that, you know, because obviously he's not, you know, it's his life and, you know, I don't, I don't want to sort of reveal too much, but um, he, he's been sectioned a couple of times. He, his, his experience of being sectioned was awful. He got beaten up um, by the guards in there um, so one time. The guards in the, in the yeah the place where he was sectioned yeah he got beaten up. Um, he he uh, you know you get left alone you get spoken about um, and written about and major decisions are made about you uh, by people that you've not even met that haven't even spoken to you face to face. Um, he's been labelled as um, psychotic, medium risk to public, um, and um, schizophrenic, but. I don't think he's he's any of it really. I mean, he wouldn't harm a fly. I mean, the most harm he is is to himself. He uses alcohol. Like, he's, he's, well, he told me recently he was drinking two liters of vodka a day. Um, he was. Uh, he, he takes every. He'd been taking every type of sort of drug that's sort of legal and illegal under the sun to sort of cope with it. Um, and I just think he needs what he needs is like a proper residential help. You know, I think he needs to sort of go somewhere 
and have real phased, um, firstly, you know, um, recovery, like I don't know if it's going to be a 12-step recovery or whatever, to get all the toxins out of him. Then he needs, like, strong tools just to sort of live. I mean, the other thing, he's been diagnosed by one of the doctors with ADD, um, and I, that's something I wanted to talk to you about, Ryan, as well, you know, that that sort of borderline, you know, that that between true psychotic and, and schizophrenia which for me i mean it's it's i mean you know and bipolar it's a real it seems to be a real sort of vague label but it's a label that um if you're labeled it you know you can't travel you can't get jobs and things like that you know and i just wanted to know yeah just what your thoughts around you know uh being sectioned are and, and what your experience of it was it was um, it was sadly you know difficult and and disappointing. I think it kind of shows the the state of the the mental health system in the UK and the lack of resources. So I um you know, I'm I'm really grateful. I'm really lucky because one of my friends is a mental health nurse, and you know she saved my life and she recognised that I was a risk about three weeks ago because I completely withdrew. All the things I knew I should do, like talk to friends and family, <coughs> excuse me, um, I didn't do, you know, and I've got all these these people I could have reached out to to say I'm struggling. But in that moment, I didn't realise I was becoming that well, I withdrew and I isolated myself. But she had a conversation and said, look, I think you're... I think you're really high risk at the minute. You know, you're that demographic, you're 40, you're impulsive, you're determined, and I'm just really worried. So she got me to put a crisis plan in place. And reluctantly, I did it. So on this crisis plan, it gives you guidance that if you're feeling a certain way, you just need to act. You just need to ring the person on the plan. So I rang Verity, and uh, she managed to dispatch an ambulance, and they took me to, to hospital. It's a bit of a hazy memory it shows the temporary state of mind i was in and how much of a danger to myself i was because i wasn't you know i wasn't i wasn't me i wasn't myself i wasn't thinking rationally i just wanted the pain to end and i was going to do that by any means possible but they took me to hospital and you know appreciate there's wait times we're in a pandemic still and you know you can you know no one goes into hospital and gets seen straight away but i was put in a room on my own uh, for 12 hours you know in a room on my own for 12 hours in my own head and that in itself for someone going through mental distress emotional distress shouldn't really have happened it does show the importance of kindness because there were people on that ward and I'm going to go back and thank them in some way possible there's a guy called Jake a lad called Matt and, and a girl called uh, Claire who in between doing, you know, their rounds and doing their bits and pieces in the hospital, they they pop in, they you know ask me how I was, bring me coffee. So one one person was kind enough to charge my phone. Now they didn't do any of that. If they weren't there, then I would have absconded. I'd have walked out, and I firmly believe I'd have completed suicide. So it shows the important of kind importance of kindness from strangers or people who, you know, mm. just reach out and offer that 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 smile, that hello, that you know how you're feeling. And then I got took to um, the Bradgate unit in Leicester. So my doctor's is registered in Newton in Warwickshire, and uh, I live in Leicester. So there was some confusion over where to put me, some kind of politics and red tape over which service is going to care for me. 
took me by ambulance to the Bradgate unit. And uh, this is about 10 o'clock at night by this point. So I went into hospital at eight. I'm now getting assessed at 10 p.m. at night. And they weren't going to keep me in. They were going to discharge me. Um, thankfully, again, I rang my friend who's uh, an RNM, mental, mental health nurse. She spoke to them, convinced me to convince them to keep me in and I was put in a makeshift kind of office room space on a mattress on the floor with someone sat outside the room making sure I didn't do a runner and that was pretty much my experience of being of being sectioned um mm. we made reference to people making decisions without even meeting you you know, I wanted to stay in. I felt that the safest place for me was to stay in. Uh, they discharged me under the care of the crisis team. They came out the first day and then they cancelled the appointment yesterday. So now it's just on my own. Not on my own because I've got support in place. But how many people aren't as fortunate, as lucky as me to have, you know, a friend who's a mental health nurse, a really supportive partner, yeah. friends to talk to? How many people wouldn't have all that and would end up being suicide? It breaks my heart because mm. it, it should not happen. Why are we waiting for people to enter crisis? Why is it so reactive rather than proactive? And even when it's reactive, you might be sat there for days on end waiting for someone to come and say, you know, here's some help, here's some support, here's, here's what's going to happen. Mm. So true. It's so true. I mean, I mean, obviously, yeah, we all know why it's happening. You know, the like you said, you said yourself, the mental health just don't have the resources. But the fact that you've said that, you know, you've come out, um, sorry, that sounds quite archaic, didn't it? You've come out, you weren't in jail, but, you know, you've gone home and you're waiting for an appointment and they cancelled it. Yeah, that's it, exactly. Exactly, it was cancelled. And, uh, you know, with no, oh, we'll cancel it, we'll book in tomorrow, you know, nothing, nothing of that nature. Like mental health support, you have to seek it out. We have to find it ourselves, sadly, dependent on charities, organisations. Um, when, when, when are they planning on investing more money in mental health? We all know this is a real problem. When are they going to make mental health first aid a legal requirement equal to physical first aid? You have to have that. That's compulsory. I just feel that the, the system is broken. Thankfully, we've got amazing, amazing people working in mental health. You know, inspirational people who do it because they want to help and support, but they need support themselves. And we need to invest yeah. more money in this system and, and resources available. So... Your coping mechanism, your way of coping with your intrusive thoughts w w was drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Is there, um, I'm, I'm really interested in what you think about, is there a sort of, what's, what, what can replace that? I mean, I know you're, you're, it's, it's, uh, you're still trying to find what, what can replace that and maybe it's, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, um, I don't know, meditation or, or, or some sort of routine or, or anything like that? Or don't you think anything can replace it? Is there a, like a healthy coping mechanism that can, be, that can replace drugs and alcohol, do you think? Yeah, there is. It's, it's just finding it. So with me, I've, I've been able to just about get by without medication for quite some time. I thought, you know, if I do all these, these great things in my toolkit, um, then I can just about cope with these voices. You know, good days and bad days, but it's livable. But mm. I have a mental illness, and, and for that, I need to be medicated. So I'm, I'm back on medication now, and it's going to be a bit of an up-and-down journey whilst they take effect, take hold. So I'm on mm. sertraline and an antipsychotic. 
So letting them take hold to give me the the strength and the resilience to start doing the things I know can help. So, you know, MMA and boxing is is a cornerstone of, of what keeps me keeps me well. Meditation also helps. And it's interesting you mentioned the 12-step program about your friend. And I'm really to, sorry to hear about the journey they're on, by the way. You know, I'm really sorry to hear they're struggling. I hope they find their, their way through. I'm sure they will with your support. But the 12-step program is what got me got me sober. And it's a great system. It's a great program because, you know, it, it helps you increase your spiritual connection. It helps you recognize your defects, you know, where you've gone wrong in life and you have to kind of uproot all of that. But for me, what happened was it uprooted all this trauma. And because my OCD, it had no place to go. And that's what led me to crisis. So right. I think, you know, within what I'd urge anyone to, to consider in a 12-step program is, you know, mental illness exists. When that book was written in 1939, it wasn't recognised. It just wasn't. So, you know, there may be a reason that someone wants to get sober. They may not just be an addict. They may have found drugs and alcohol as a coping strategy. And we need to be very aware that when we remove that coping strategy through a 12-step program or through sobriety, that person needs to adopt new coping strategies because mm. I've got dual diagnosis. That's when you have a mental illness and substance misuse. And mm. I found, I'm, I'm glad I found substance misuse because it kept me alive. It was my way of mm. coping with life and getting through whilst my mental illness was unsupported. So getting sober was great. I encourage anyone to do it, but it needs to be more sophisticated than just let's get you sober, let's write down your defects, let's work through this program. Because if someone's suffering with their mental health or a mental illness, there needs to be that consideration to it all. Oh man, it's it's like it is a bit of a sort of catch twenty two, isn't it? Because yeah, like you say, if if you took again talking about my 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 friend, you know, if you take that the alcohol or the you know the self, the medication that he's on away then he absolutely he loses it you know um but then the the alcohol and you know the the drugs are not doing him him any good at all you know they're they're ruining ruining his health making him very sort of inflamed and and unhealthy sort of physically and also making him sort of quite depressed as well you know so it's um it's just but no one out there wants to, can, can seem to help him, you know. No one, no one. It's it's like there's loads we've tried and loads of people have tried, but it's just, um, it's just it's it's sort of banging your head against the wall sort of time, you know. And and it sounds like yeah, from from what you're saying, it sounds like you're on your own. It sounds like you're you're. I mean, you know, you've got the benefit of of sort of knowing a lot about mental health and uh you know you're a mental health first aider and and, and you know a lot you you know a lot about the whole process but what about yeah i mean gosh yeah, yeah. I, I don't i don't envy my friend i don't envy you i mean what, what do you have a sort of um long-term plan of what you're going to do I'm still kind of piecing that together. I'm hoping yep. that the medication is going to give me some mental clarity to start to work out how I piece this together and and, and build back up because it's the worst episode of my OCD I've ever had to, to date. You know, by far the, the risk right. of suicide was very, very, very real. And it was yep. scary how poorly, how well I got quick. You know, I got ill quick. 
So yeah. um, I haven't got a plan yet. And, you know, going back to, again, the reference with your, with your friend and the drugs and alcohol, we don't take an aligned approach for caring for this highly vulnerable group. We don't take like an integrated treatment model where we consider that the person is suffering with a mental health. There's a substance misuse pro- problem. Let's give them better coping strategies and understanding before we remove that, because it could well be that yeah. keeping keeping them alive and keeping them, you know, um, being able to cope cope with life. So now I don't I don't have a plan as of yet, and you know I'm fortunate because I teach I teach mental health first aid, um, so yeah. I've got a lot of knowledge. But that also became um, my downfall, which is where I think it shows that our problems are our problems. You know, no one's better or worse. It's easy to think, for example, with me, it'd be easy to think, well, you know, well, how, how's Ryan got suicidal? He's got all this support. He's got the knowledge. He teaches it. But yeah. because of that thinking, I felt like I needed to have the answers and I needed to withdraw and keep it a secret. You know, I didn't want anyone to know that I was struggling because if people see I'm struggling, they're going to lose faith in what I teach. So that thing that most people would see as a positive, it became my negative. It became the thing that made me hide it, put on that mask, not tell anyone until I had a complete breakdown and, and ended up in hospital. So it's difficult our problems are our problems our stresses are our stresses and you know the more awareness people have around this the better and if it wasn't for my partner jamie who you know she's been amazing you know she's one of the people one of the two people like verity that saved my life if if she hadn't noticed because i taught her mental health first aid she qualified how ironic is that i taught her to become a mental health first aider <laughs> and um she she looked and she said you don't look right you're okay and I came back that automatic response. Yeah, yeah, I'm all right. I'm fine. I'm sound. Why? You know, what? She said, no, you're not. What's wrong? You know, I can tell something's going on. She forced the conversation and I had a complete breakdown, you know, floods of tears, uh, every, everything I'd been hiding from her. You know, I'd, I'd made suicide videos on my phone. It had gone that far, but I still convincingly hid it from the world. And if there was more awareness, if everyone was qualified in mental health first aid, if everyone had that family member or colleague at work knew how to look for those potential physical signs, the behavioural signs, and have that non-judgmental conversation, that kindness, that's how we save lives. That's how hopefully we can identify those people who are struggling and hiding it from themselves and the world, you know, in the background, in silence, and, and and encouraging them to talk and giving them that space to come forward and know this is okay to feel this way. Let's talk about it. Let's get the words out. Let's unravel it and see what we need to do to keep you alive. Love it. Love it. Do you know what? I think that's, I think that's your mission, isn't it? That's your sort of mission that everybody is trained in mental health first aid. I think that's definitely a mission. Yeah, it, it, it is. I mean, I taught members of the House of Commons during lockdown and they said, what, what one thing can we do to help you? I said, mate, push the manifesto through. You know, it's a white paper stage, which I'm told, I don't know a lot about parliamentary process. I'm told it's pretty much complete, but let's let's push it out there and make sure 
everyone's got it. And yeah, it, it is my mission. You're absolutely right. If I have to paint myself green, naked, and chain myself to the House of Commons or the front gates, I'm doing it. This is happening. People need this. <laughs> Whatever extreme method, and I could probably get away with it now in section. They'll just say, oh, no, he's, you know, he's I could probably get away with it. So There are some benefits. There's some, there's some benefits, yeah, absolutely. That's it. I could get away with more now. They'll go, oh, no, he's, he's, he's off on one again. But really, it's just part of the mission. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know what, circle back to something. Let me just circle back to something because this is for anyone who hasn't actually met or seen Ryan. Um, Ryan is how, how tall are you, Ryan? Actually? Six foot. Right, he's six foot. He's got muscles growing out of his muscles. He's tattooed up to his eyeballs. He is a very hard man. He could probably beat me in a fight. He might not handle so well with Andy. Andy's a hard nut. But, um, <laughs> oh, man, I'll tell you what. You don't mess with me. Exactly. Don't mess with me. But the thing <laughs> is, is, is you said that, you know, our problems are our problems. And you're not just physically, you know, an absolute beast. Mentally, your knowledge, your power, and what you give to the mental health community is absolutely phenomenal. And, like, I, for a long time, I've admired you. Um but the fact is that you said, you know, you talk about it, you stuff like that, and you you preach it, but you have suffered as well. And I think that that's, for me, that's quite, without sort of taking pleasure from your pain, it's quite reassuring that no matter where we are, what we know, what we learn, we can all be affected by it. It doesn't make us less of a human, doesn't make us less of a person. You know, it is what it is. Mental health has no prejudice, do you know what I mean? absolutely yeah it's unforgiving it can affect everyone and you know thank you for your kindness you know i've, I've admired um what you've done you you know both of you the page that you run it, i saw it reached out to me and i think you're both incredible at what you're doing pushing this positive message around mental health and men's mental health forward and going back to the fight you know i'm a lover not a fight i'd rather cuddle both of you we'll have a good old cry <laughs> all right rather than a scrap let's let's reverse it let's get the emotion out boys let's have a good old cry that's well, the way I do things these days but <laughs> He's, yeah. backing out. He's backing out. He knows how hard I am. I know, I know, I'm it. tapping out already. I'm tapping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I couldn't fight my way out of a paper bag, mate. But anyway, um, I was, yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny. I was going to ask you, Tommy, because you've done the sort of mental health um, first aid course, haven't you? Um, yeah. I've not done it, but I know a lot of people that have. So come on, boys, sell it to me. You know, Ryan, you've, sell, you've sold it to me in, in a very um you know very powerful way um why should everyone do a mental health first aid course well who's that to me or ryan both of you come on i'll let you go first brother you go for it all right nice one well okay well do you know what? for me the most simple thing and can i just create you because you said it twice now andy you said that he's um he's a mental health first aider he's actually a mental health first aider trainer he gives the trainings Oh, he's the sorry, sorry. Yeah. He's the Uber. He's he's yes. like the sort of next level up on the on the game of um the master. computer game. He's, he's the boss. Master. He's a <laughs> master. I'm a padweed. Yeah. I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Um. But you know what? For me, the I think the biggest selling point of this whole thing is that it just shows you. It just shows you how to be aware, and it, not just for yourself, but for other people, being able to spot that somebody might be struggling, seeing the warning signs and actually just averting a possible crisis. You know, it's for me, that's priceless. You know, it's priceless. It's such an amazing tool. It really is. And, I'll, and that's me, keeping it short and simple. It's just made me so much more aware of what's going on 
and how I can potentially help somebody save somebody's life and how I can just be aware of myself and my own, you know, feelings, emotions and mental health as well. And does it, is it a long course? How, how long does it take? I, I, <clears throat> I did a two day course, but there's a one day course available as well, isn't there? There is, exactly. yeah. It's yeah. it's a two day course to become a fully accredited mental health first aider, uh, and that's a lot more, you know, thorough. It's it's a bit of a, a, a microwave version on the one day, but the two day gives the delegates space to explore each topic and and come away feeling empowered. You know, often people think, oh, now I'm going to have to talk about suicide and anxiety for two days. Yeah, we are, but we navigate through that in a way that that people want to use it and they feel empowered and enlightened and and positive. It's it's all always a good experience coming through that um so yeah what why wouldn't we have it you know yeah. why wouldn't we have mental health first aid i'm not gonna you know bore everyone with stats but we know one in four people struggle each year but they're the one in four we know about how many people are struggling in silence and yes. still feeling because of stigma they've got to hide it so it's more like 50 percent of people each year will struggle with a mental health issue that in mm. itself shows that we we need this, you know, not just a want. It's a, it's a need. Every company should have should have one. I know a lot of companies are trying to sort of in- incorporate it, but yeah, every, every place of work, every institution should should have a definitely have a, a mental health first aid at the very least. I reckon. Yeah, for sure. Actually, I was going to ask you something because when I did the course, there were I think there were ten of us in the room, and out of the ten, three of us were men. I think it was like that. Only three were men. What sort of, you know, coming through your classes and your courses, is there a high ratio of females to males? There is, yeah. Sadly, still still is a higher ratio of that. I mean, I've done 190-odd courses to date now over three years, um, trained over 3,000 people, I think it is, something like that. Wow. And, and, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot. It's almost still that kind of 70-30 split, sadly. And and even when it's a construction, you know, a, a typically male-dominated industry, it is still that split. So it, it's got nothing to do with the the industry or industries where they're more male-dominated. It's still that kind of seventy thirty. It is starting to improve slightly, and I've seen a real difference in attitude of the men on the course. So back three years ago, you know, you might have had three men on the course, almost like sent just to make the numbers up. Yeah. But now the men I'm seeing on the course are just as involved and invested in it as as anyone else. So we're seeing that change in attitude, but sadly not changing numbers. Mm. We we um. We haven't spoken about the elephant in the room. We haven't spoken about at all about your um, your other career as a, a mixed martial artist, cage fighter, um, that sort of stuff. Tell us about um, getting involved in that and how that's helped you. Yeah, that's my coping strategy. So back when I was struggling, um, I found that going to the gym helped. I didn't know why. I didn't know the science behind, you know, it releases serotonin when the happy mood chemicals. I just found that when I went to the gym and when I went boxing or cage fighting, I, I felt better. The boxing and the cage fighting came about because I sadly learned or thought I learned that the only person that was going to help me is me. Um, what's associated with with tough, with strength is suppressing emotion, uh, tattoos, doormen, gangsters, fighting. So I created this false self, this persona of what I thought 
tough was like to kind of cope with what was going on in my head. And um, that became in itself quite destructive because boxing and MMA uh, for for a while uh, became my method of self-harm. So we often associate self-harm with, you know, what you hear in the media, cutting, burning, things like that. I would go cage fighting and boxing and I just wouldn't defend myself. So my intention was to cause harm to oneself. You know, someone would say, oh, you're tired. Are you injured? And my answer was soon like this. Now I just feel, I feel horrible. I feel horrible. I just need to get this inner scream out. So I'd go to boxing and cage fighting, not defend myself. It wasn't recognized. How, how would it? People wouldn't think, oh, he's, he's self-harming because we typically associate wow. it with, with cutting. So I did that for you. I mean, that probably accounted for 5% of the time I ever went. To, to combat sport. The other 95% of the time was, you know, for the enjoyment, for the love of it, and to try and reinforce this, this false, false self. Um, but yeah, I've had, I mean, it sounds like I've had an illustrious MMA career. I haven't. I've had two professional fights. I've won one, I've lost one, I've boxed once. And shameless plug, I'm boxing again on the 31st of July at Birmingham City Football Club. It's a headline fight, and I'm raising money for an organisation called We Are Hummingbird who go into schools and talk about mental health because I think that needs to be where we start these conversations. Let's start the earliest opportunity and give children some emotional intelligence and wellbeing strategies and talk about mental health yes mate yes amazing amazing that's me applauding you by the way okay yeah. <laughs> haven't, you got your, haven't you got your applaud button tommy can you can you press it have you got the there we go there we go <laughs> it's a bit quiet it seems a bit quiet can you not turn that up can you not... oh. <laughs> there you go there you go um we've got a button for everything on this on this show um so so where are we at now then so 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 basically um you've had a bit of a a jolt and um you're back on the medication just to sort of level you out and then you're gonna just um you know just just keep keep going and and keep and keep searching for for that that sort of equilibrium in life is that is that is that is that what you're where you're at at the moment that's exactly where i'm at we've just got to keep moving forward you know it's going to be good days bad days i'm told what a meditation medication takes hold it's going to be a bit of an up and down journey which it is you know some days i wake up and i'm like actually it's going to be all right and then you know other mornings it's it's just so overwhelming and and even you know getting out of bed or trying to function is such an impossible task but I've just got to keep moving forward, keep trying different things, keep talking to people, keep myself safe within that. I've still got a crisis plan in place. And, and yeah, just 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 know that there's help available. I just need to find that blueprint for happiness and that journey for recovery. And I'm convinced everyone has one. It's just some people have to work a little harder to find it. And that's where, again, the awareness comes in because we don't want people to give up. You know, when they're in that, that pit of despair so easy to give up so easy to self-pity so easy to fall back on on all the unhelpful coping strategies and and that's when we need people around us who care for us and love us to say right come on let's do this let's try that let's not give up because there is happiness at the end of this there's a way out of the tunnel we just need to work together put the effort in and find it and uh you know i'm i'm not gonna i've had i've had a bit of a situation but 
I'm not going to give up. I've got a purpose in life. And, my, you know, while there's, while there's breath in my body, I'm going to keep keep this message moving forward, which is why I love you guys, and, and make sure at some point in the future, you know, mental health first aid is a legal requirement and it's recognised and it's out there and people don't need to struggle because most of the struggle is stigma, judgment and lack of awareness. And we've got complete control to influence that. So let's keep marching forward, gents. Let's keep shouting it from the rooftops. And let's make sure that people know what true mental health support looks and feels like because it's available. It's just hard to find. My God, Ryan, 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 which way? You are a warrior both in and out of the ring. You're amazing. Um, Thank you. So how can we find you, uh, your social medias? Give us a little, uh, give us some drops. No worries. Uh, Instagram is a voice underscore the number four underscore mental health and then you can find the the business for mental health first aid training at www.mindhealthsolutions.co.uk and if anyone wants to reach out for help and support then i'm always always available to signpost people and just you know my resource is their resource i might not have the answers but i might know people who do so i'm always happy to signpost people and and help if they're struggling with something fantastic and that's that's amazing. I'll just very very briefly because we 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 sort of run over over time. The crisis um, strategy you said you you know that for if some you've got now in place. What is that? If any listeners wanted to sort of look into that, what is that? What is that exactly? Well, there's a really great app called the Staying Alive app, and that that is kind yeah. of like a crisis plan. Um, but my crisis plan is a document in my phone. And it just really highlights if I'm feeling suicidal that I need to ring this person immediately. So in that moment when, and, and like I said, I make reference to my own personal lived experience, everyone's different, but I was so numb, so detached from reality, so hazy, I just need to check that and I just made the call without any thought around it. Now, if I didn't have that in place, if I didn't have that document with, you're feeling suicidal, bring this person, here's the number, uh, then who knows where I'd, I'd be at, you know, don't bear thinking about. And that, and that was the danger and, and the, the risk that I was in. It was, it, was, it was as close to suicide as I've ever been. And I do not ever want to go back there again. Man, well, this has been, I think this has been one of our most important um, podcasts we've done. Um, thank yeah. you so much for your, for your, for your honesty. Um, it, I think it's going to really help a lot of people. And I echo what Tommy says. I mean, what, what you do is amazing. Um, and um, all the help that you give to so many people, it's, it's, uh, I, I love that mission that you're on. And um, I really hope that you, get into a, a, a much better place um, and, and so you can carry on doing all, all, all the amazing stuff you do, mate. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, thank you for having me on. Brothers, I love you both dearly. Keep pushing forward with your positive message. You've got a great page, a great podcast, and I absolutely love what you're about. So it's been my pleasure to come on. Long time in the making. Let's not wait so long next time. <laughs> I love talking to you guys. You're absolutely great at what you do. Big love. Massive love. Thanks so much, Ryan. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Bye-bye. And Ryan Ridgeway. <laughs> okay, everyone, we'll we'll see you. We won't see you because we're radio, as we said before. We're not visual. Uh, we'll, we'll hear you. No, you'll hear us. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. We'll speak to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.